from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. It's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go. Thursday, Silver 7's. That's our home every single Thursday. It is our home every single Thursday. Flamingo and Paradise, Silver 7's. We've got Angel here helping out at the set. Ari's back in the Finley Toyota Studios. Big Thursday on the way, especially in town. We've got a couple of games to uh, get you ready for. Uh, that includes the Knights back on ice. Six o'clock start. The game is on ESPN as the Flames are here. The Knights are a uh, small favorite at minus 135 after a shootout loss to end the streak. A shootout loss to Chicago and the uh, Lady Rebels look for win number 26. I chuckle because uh, that's a lot of winning. 26. Looking to remain unbeaten in the Mountain West Conference, but looking to go 26-2 and Utah State. Should be a win. Utah State not very good. I think the uh, Lady Rebels have won like 11 in a row in the series. They've been dominant in the series. So uh, those are some of the games on the way. It's a busy weekend at UNLV as you get the Lady Rebels today. That'll be on the Silver State Sports and Entertainment Network. That's uh, TV on Fox 5.2 and Cox 125. I'll be on the call there with uh, Wyatt Tomchak. Uh, men are back tomorrow at the Thomas & Mack against Air Force. Women come back again on Saturday for another game as they try to close out things in the Mountain West Conference. So one more game after that against uh, Reno. They'll try to go unbeaten in the conference and continue to advance in the top 25. All right, let's come out and get to the three. We start. It's the three on Cofield and Company. I'm excited. Uh, we start with a little Mountain West Conference basketball. Four games on Tuesday on the men's side, only one last night and Boise State in a big game against New Mexico here's the setup in the Mountain West Conference San Diego State is probably in uh, they could lose in the conference tournament I don't think they can lose a bunch of times down the stretch here but right now they're a six seed in bracketology Joe Lenardi's bracketology on ESPN.com so they can not win the conference tournament right now they're listed as the AQ they could not win the conference tournament they're still going to make it beyond that no one's really safe I think Boise and Nevada are in decent shape, but if they happen to lose two more regular season games and they get pushed out of the, the uh, conference tournament early, they could be in trouble for the bid. So all these games by the top teams, there's four of them that have 11 wins or more in the Mountain West Conference. they got to win. they got to win, and they really can't afford uh, many missteps from here. So last night, New Mexico kind of holding on to final hopes that they could pull off an upset, win a couple games down the stretch, maybe make a run to the finals holding out those final opportunities or final chances to make the, the uh, NCAA tournament. They played a good game. They had the lead, but second half, Boise was able to retake it, go on to win 82-77. to 77. Max Rice, who's become one of the better stories, uh, not one that everyone roots for, but Leon Rice's son actually had 30 points in the second game. Uh, check that. In the game, 22 in the second half. So Boise winds up winning 82-77. Uh, Boise also got... 13 from Tyson Degenhardt. We'll tell you a little later about what Kevin Kruger was saying about Degenhardt and one of his players today on the uh, New Mexico side. Morris Udeze led the way. 18 points and 14 rebounds. And oh, what could have been if Udeze, who was down to New Mexico and UNLV when he was transferring from Wichita State, wound up choosing the Lobos? What could have been if the big man who's averaging about 16 points a game and nine rebounds, imagine if he was part of this UNLV squad, maybe you have. Uh, much different results, three or four more wins in conference by UNLV. But the Lobos got him, and uh, 
But even with them now, they're 20-8 and eight and 7-8 and eight in the Mountain West Conference, and that's a team that came out of the gates like 16 or 17-0, and 0, so they've fallen on hard times, and they're probably out of the mix for an at-large bid. No, in fact, they're 100% out for an at-large bid for the NCAAs. they got to win the tournament, and they're capable of it. They could, they could play some good basketball here. They need to get the five seed and stay off the Wednesday opener day of the Mountain West Conference tournament. But as the five seed, could they make a run on the tournament, pull off a bunch of upsets, and, and win it? Yeah, they're a good team. They're a good team. They're just uh, falling on hard times. And they're a little bit thin as well, and maybe just haven't made some of the adjustments that other coaches have made. Richard Patino, good coach. I don't know if he's a great coach. Leon Rice and Brian Dutcher are great coaches. Steve Alford, as much as those of us down here who followed Alford forever, hate to say it, Steve Alford is a great coach. So here's the situation for UNLV going into tomorrow's game. Have to win as many games as they can down the stretch. I mean, they're going to be playing on Wednesday, the first day of the tournament, and they're going to have to win four games to get the automatic qualifier. Uh, but you want to move up as much as possible. Right now, UNLV is 5-10, and 10, the 8 seed. Air Force is 5-11, and 11, the 9 seed. These are conference records in the Mountain West. So a win tomorrow would be nice. They're going to take on Utah State at home. They can beat Utah State. They play them really close up in Logan. So that would be a nice upset to pull. And can they go on the road and take out the Wolfpack? Sure they could. Are they going to go 3-0? I don't think so. But could they go 3-0? Sure. And, you know, that's a nice carrot to fight for down the stretch. Meanwhile, around the country, one of the, the craziest stories, and I don't know that people have completely focused in on it yet, is college basketball really starts to get more attention in about 10 days. So even a top-five team like Alabama, stories around that program don't get covered nationally like they do, say, with the NFL, which is the biggest sport in this country. Brandon Miller is a kid who is involved in some form or fashion in what turned out to be a shooting and murder around the University of Alabama. Reports were that he brought the gun to the scene that was then used to shoot into a car and killed a young woman, a 23-year-old woman. And there's interesting legal issues with this because, you know, we talked to Justin Watkins, our legal insider, on Wednesdays, and, you know, he mentioned without the police report or police information or the police investigation fully completed... We don't know how much Brandon Miller knew about what was going on at the scene. And the way Justin explained it yesterday, if I have it correct, was, hey, you can bring someone a gun, and if they use it for something you were unaware of, all you did was bring them a gun. You're not looped in and potentially charged. Now, if you were honed in on what it may be used for, like it was verbalized to you, hey, bring the gun because I'm going to shoot someone, then you're in trouble, and that's why – the investigation needs to play out here. And in the meantime, you've got a really uncomfortable situation where someone has died. They know who the shooter is. They know who brought the gun to the scene. But without all the details, Brandon Miller has not been suspended, was allowed to play last night. Alabama was out South Carolina. The South Carolina crowd, of course, you know, students are going to be as rough as you, know, you can imagine. They were chanting, lock him up. But Brandon Miller played and apparently was motivated and unafraid of the criticism and went for 41 points in that game. So we're going to get into that more with Xavier Pope in about 40 minutes and talk about the legality of it, the morality of it. But here's the thing. In a situation close to home, we kind of had the same thing happen, not necessarily with a crime 
that happened here and an athlete playing here. But Alvin Kamara of the Saints, the running back at last year's Pro Bowl, got into it over at the Cromwell. There's video of he and his buddies and another NFL player was included just beating the snot out of some cat who was there. What happened before the beating? We don't know. David Chesnoff is involved, attorney to the stars here in Las Vegas, especially a lot of athletes like Henry Ruggs. He's repping Kamara. His case is that Kamara was defending himself, self-defense. And the latest info we got was part of the case as they were handing down the indictment, part of the information that came out. All right, do we have this? And and, uh, we'll apologize. This will be a little bit grainy, but, you know, People forget, you are recorded and videoed just about everywhere, and apparently when Kamara and the group after the fight got into a local limousine, you could hear a little bit of audio here, at least of uh, Kamara describing what had happened. Can we fire this? We'll play it a little later. So trust me, it's it's jarring. It's not good for Alvin Kamara. Um, but to my point, Brandon Miller was allowed to play last night. Well, Alvin Kamara was as well. There's pretty good evidence that already came out, video included of Alvin Kamara involved in this altercation where they just beat the hell out of a guy, and the NFL allowed it to get real quiet. Hey, the process has to play out, and I didn't hear a lot of people around the country screaming about Alvin Kamara playing in games this year. So do we want guys put on exemplist or suspended you know, for a year and a half while the process plays out, or is it a fair thing to do? Let the process play out. You still get to show your wares, compete in your sport, so you got two cases here where, you know, Miller's a more recent one, but uh, both of them, the athletes, were on the floor. So we'll check in with uh, Xavier Pope in just a little bit to talk about the legality of both situations. But on the way back, big news out of Denver, rival of the Raiders. The Broncos have made some hires, and uh, good for them. Names like Matt Patricia and Rex Ryan did not make it, did not make the cut line for the defensive coordinator, but they have made a really interesting move. We'll talk to uh, one of the experts from the fan in Denver next. Fridays and Saturdays, $500 hourly free play drawings from 8 p.m. to 12 a.m. All February long at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. Hiring Rex Ryan to be your defensive coordinator would be the dumbest thing I've heard in hours, days, weeks. It is so freaking stupid. Like, you can't find a guy that's been in the game or a little more current with the game. Do you know how much the game has changed even since 2016? Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. Yeah, that was a brewing story for like the last five days. Even guys in Boston were, were laughing at the possibility that Rex Ryan could be the new D.C. for Sean Payton and his Broncos. That was Michael Felder, Felger on uh, NBC Sports Boston. Well, they did make a hire today. I don't know if that means that Rex Ryan won't be working for the Broncos at all. Maybe there's another position for Rex Ryan, but defensive coordinator didn't work out. They brought back, and this is very intriguing, Vance Joseph. So let's bring in one of the guys from the fan in Denver. Love getting the update on our uh, rival to the north, the Broncos. I'm a Jets fan, but, you know, you Raiders fans out there. You get it, AFC West rival. Chad, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. How are you, Steve? I'm good. I'm good. Well, first of all, before we get to uh, Vance Joseph, let's just talk about the chatter in Denver with the media and the fans. The last couple of days with the fact that Sean Payton decided to have conversations with, uh, well, first, Rex Ryan. What was the reaction? I think a lot of people were a bit surprised. Um, The people that are all in on Sean Payton and are trusting in him, 
thought that it would be a good idea. A guy that, you know, realistically, when you include the Ravens stint as D.C. and then the head coach of the Jets had essentially nine top ten defenses in ten years, uh, I think a lot of people wanted to point to those positives and thought it might be a little bit different and unique and bringing a guy in with some experience that he could literally hand the reins over to the defense while he focused on fixing Russell Wilson in the offense. So there were there was a significant amount of people who wanted to buy into that idea and honestly, Steve, I think he was Sean Payton's preferred choice until it got a little bit too real for him, realizing that, oh, they really want to hire me, and I'm going to actually have to do this work. And I think he may have bailed out on this situation more so than the Broncos not ultimately selecting him. Um, But then you also had just as many skeptics on the other side going, Rex Ryan, are you kidding me? He hasn't coached in, in what, five years, five-plus years? Why would they want to do this? So it, it was a pretty even split. Yeah, I, I think Rex Ryan, if I think you hit the point, I think if Rex Ryan wanted to work, then he could kind of catch up on what he's missed out on the last five or six years. But as we've mentioned on this show, um, he was kind of lazy when he was the Buffalo Bills coach. That was some reports from inside sources there. And once you start doing TV, I mean, doing day-to-day work for, what, nine months a year at minimum as a defensive coordinator, as an offensive coordinator in the NFL is – that's a tough gig, man. That is not a and there and yet there are older guys who do it, like Vic Fangio, you know, very coveted dude, and certainly can do it. But I never thought it was the right mix with uh, Rex Ryan. I thought the really insulting one was because uh, Rex has a resume. I mean, really, Matt Patricia, and apparently it's Patricia. He's not getting the DC job. Is he going to be on the staff? He might be the linebackers coach. Yeah, it's it's still, I think, up in the air. Uh, I don't think uh, you can rule it out at this point at all that he he still might be part of the staff. What do you think of that? (laughs) Obviously a bad idea, (laughs) given his track record, his reputation. But there are other people, including people on our station, ex-NFL players, that go, you would be crazy not to want him. Look what he's done in this league as a coordinator. Don't look at what he's done as a head coach. Um, I think for the most part, people look at him and what happened in Detroit as a head coach, the stupid pencil behind the ear, and people don't want any part of it. But there are former players that will readily go to bat and say he's been great as a coordinator and we'd be lucky to have him coaching any position. Yeah, I'd also like to get the – if he does get the linebacker job, um, and that's Matt Patricia, the former uh, D.C. with the Patriots and head coach with the Lions, and he was dreadful with the Lions, I'd also like to see – the same sort of examination of how much Matt Patricia actually did when he was the DC under Belichick, kind of like the enemy gets, you know, with, uh, you know, analyzing what he actually did as an OC with Reed. Cause I don't believe, I, I think Belichick still had his hands all over the defense and maybe Patricia made some of the calls as you put it with the stupid pencil. So now the, the interesting thing we're kind of burying the lead is Vance Joseph is back. What were the feelings when he left, and what do you think the conversation has been like? Because that, that's a pretty you know, bitter ending, a two-year run where you're really not given a chance as a head coach. Yeah, and, and that's the key point. I think that people have a better understanding now that he wasn't given a chance to pick his own staff that he wasn't given very much authority. He wasn't given anything at the quarterback position. And I think people have a little bit better perspective on that now that they've gone through Vic Fangio and Nathaniel Hackett. So they understand it a little bit better, and there's a little bit more um, leeway in terms of how they look at Vance's tenure. But at the time, it was vicious. I mean, there are plenty of people that still hate hated his time here, hated the way he left, or think it's an awful idea, think he's had nothing but terrible defenses. And, and there are people who will 
are continuing to pound that drum, but there's also the other side that looks at what happened after VJ. And if you're going to be honest about it, and you look at since the Super Bowl and Gary Kubiak, and you're comparing Vance Joseph, Vic Fangio, and Nathaniel Hackett, Vance Joseph did the best job of the three. Oh my God, that's a low bar, but you're right. You're right. So he's back. Do you think? I mean, they should have a really good defense, right? They had a good defense. I mean, this. Unlike the enemy, who you know has to go and somehow resurrect a, an offense that doesn't look like it's going to be very good, and he's going to have to get you know Sam Howell up to speed really quickly. Vance Joseph should be able to run a really, really, really good defense and potentially get himself back, um, you know, legitimately in the mix for a head coaching gig somewhere else at some point. Well, I think that's the plan, right? That's the spin on it. His defenses in Arizona were very good. Um, but Denver has had a good defense since winning the Super Bowl, right? The Super Bowl winning team and beyond has been pretty good, if not great, almost year in, year out. Vic had one year where it wasn't, wasn't very good. Um, but for the most part, regardless of who was running it, the defense has been the story here. But part of that is just because the offense has been so dreadful. Let's not sugarcoat that. Teams do not approach playing Denver like they need to empty the playbook and go all out. They go very vanilla, and that plays into low-scoring games. It makes the defense look very good because they don't have to do a whole lot offensively to beat this team, or they haven't had to for the last seven years. It's going to be a little bit different now if Sean Payton can kick the offense into gear, and I think the, the entire way you look at Broncos games has been under, 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 boring, slow, low amount of possessions since they won the Super Bowl or even the Super Bowl year with Peyton, Peyton Manning, that is, since we have three Peyton, Peytons here now. Um, I think people are going to expect that to change in more games to be played in the 25, 27-point range with more offense. So you're going to view the defense a little bit differently because the style that the team plays is going to be different. Raiders division rival, the Broncos, pick a defensive coordinator. It's former head coach, Vance Joseph. They pass on Rex Ryan. They pass on Matt Patricia. Last thing on the Broncos, Sean Payton has been very visible on social media. Like, he pays attention. Did he get after a local media person today about the uh, amount of time that uh, Payton is uh, taking to put together his coaching staff? I guess someone got on him. Yeah, respected uh, talk show host here, reporter, has been TV radio for, um, you know, quite a long time, well, more than a decade. Uh, Eric Goodman had just pointed out when Peyton was hired and how many positions appeared to still be open on the staff, and Peyton clapped back at him on Twitter and basically <laughs> said, 15 filled, six to go, we'll let you know when we're ready to, right. to that extent, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people are looking at this as to, Wait, you know, we, we hired Sean Payton to get away from the silliness of Nathaniel Hackett, to get away from the pettiness or the ridiculousness of the presentation that the first-time head coaches thought they had to, to put the face on and put the front on, whether that was social media or in front of the camera. We thought we were hiring somebody who has won a Super Bowl and has done this before and was above all of this. So it was a bit surprising to see him go out of his way on Twitter to clap back, especially if he knew Vance Joseph was going to be hired today where he could have just waited until right. the staff was complete and announced it all at the same time. right? So um, I-, I thought it was unnecessary. Um, I-, I really would be a little bit more concerned as to why he's even paying attention to things like that. Well, he did it before taking the job, right? I mean, there were people out there, there were some reports out there that, 
Peyton, you know, felt uneasy about ownership, and then he fired back at someone. He's like, no, that's not right. I, I feel fine about it, and he winds up taking the job. Uh, Chad Anders with us from the fan in Denver. Chad's awesome on the NBA, so let's get into a little NBA. Again, another team that's under the radar, and frankly under the radar locally sometimes because uh, TV access. The Nuggets are having an awesome season. They're, what, 41-14 and 14 going to the second half. They get a game today at the Cavaliers. I guess first thing out of the gates, uh, what's going on with Jamal Murray? Should be back tonight. He's had 18 days off since he last played uh, the last six games before the break and then the All-Star break. So it was not his surgically repaired knee. It was his other knee that he was experiencing some swelling and some tenderness in. So I think the expectation for Murray is to play tonight. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he rests three, four times over the final 23 games. But the expectation is that he is healthy and ready to be bubble Jamal going forward for the stretch run and the playoffs. Uh, the other concern is just Aaron Gordon, who will still be out tonight. He's got a, a rib contusion or a bruised rib. By the way, were they having issues with their practice court and like some kind of leaks or something? There were uh, there were some leaks on the court when they came <laughs> back on what Tuesday right. for practice, right. and uh, it, it's long been an issue here, right? Um, really, the Cronky family and their sports empire has still not either built or created. Uh, individual practice areas for the Avalanche or the Nuggets. So the Nuggets have a practice court at Ball Arena, but it is one court. What? That's it. it. It pales in comparison to what most NBA teams have for a practice facility. What? Um, they even go, when they have training camp the last couple of years, they've gone to San Diego, right, to get oh away from Denver to have multiple courts to be able to use every all of their training camp bodies and keep everybody moving the whole time. Uh, the Avalanche... <laughs> practice uh, about 20 miles away from downtown in a place called the Family Sports Center, which is literally a public ice rink, that when the Avalanche have it, they have it, and then the rest of the time it's, you know, whatever junior group or kids group or figure skater that rents it. Yeah, so neither one of them have their own practice facilities. Oh, my gosh. Boy, the Cronky family, man. Interesting dude. What's he up to? What's he worth now, 25 or $30 billion? Yeah, Stan for sure. Yeah, you know, and Josh is Josh is in line to inherit it all, basically. Yeah. So yeah. Oh my God, uh, let's talk about the remainder of the season. How does uh, Nikola Jokic not win the MVP? He's minus three hundred to win the NBA MVP again. I think the way he doesn't win it is because there is enough of a pushback on the legacy argument of putting him in the category with Larry Bird or Wilt Chamberlain as a back-to-back-to-back winner without ever having made a finals appearance. If enough people feel that pressure of the legacy and what it means to put him there without even appearing in the finals. The other way he doesn't win it is the Bucks have won 10 in a row before they went to the All-Star break. And if they're healthy and Giannis finishes as the number one seed in the Eastern Conference and they win, you know, another eight before they lose and then they win you know, however many games they have left. If they win, you know, 20 out of their 25 remaining games or whatever it is, and they're the number one seed with the best record in the NBA, I think it's a two-person race. It's either Giannis or Jokic. You watch these games. Do they pad his assist? I mean, he's averaging 20, almost 25, 11 and a half, and then freaking 10 assists a game as a seven-footer. I can promise you they do not because uh, I've argued for years the way Charlotte pads the numbers for LaMelo Ball. Right since he's been in the league, it, it's egregious. If you watch video uh, with guys <laughs> taking three, four dribbles, hesitating, pump faking, then going up, and he'll get an right. assist on that play. Um, 
I can tell you for a fact they do not because I am oftentimes a better of a Jokic triple-double, so I'm watching for that 8th, ninth, and 10th assist. So I'm waiting for it to happen while I'm watching the game and keeping track of it. So 100% they are not padding his stats. Last one. I saw a lot of criticism. I really thought it was a lazy topic at the start of the week. A lot of people our age and older complaining about All-Star Weekend for the NBA. The ratings weren't very good. What do you think? All-Star Weekend is fun if it's in your city or if you travel to attend it and you're part of the parties and the events and everything that's going on. I think outside of that, it's lost its luster. It's just not a very good TV product. And I don't blame anyone for it. I think it's fine because I think the players do need a bit of a celebration and a way to blow off steam. And they are paraded around so much that weekend from sponsor to sponsor to event to event. Uh, I get needing three, four days afterwards for recovery time. Um, I don't know that you necessarily need to improve it or appease to the people that are complaining. It's just not something that's very good. And I think that's okay. Not everybody has to take it in and participate in it. It's never going to be what it once was. It's never going to be Michael Jordan in 1988 again. And the Pro Bowl and football are trying to reinvent, but the people who don't like it are never going to like it. The NHL has tried. Okay. And uh, I I don't care about the all-star break um, in Major League Baseball and the game itself and the home run derby. So, but I'm not going to get on people who enjoy it. It's it's for the fans and those cities. The only thing that I would say that would make it more fan friendly is if they reduced the break by having half of the league to have the week off before and the other half have the week off after to where we're not going so long between games. Yeah. You know, the games would still end on Thursday night to get the All-Stars to the weekend, but then those that were off the prior week would resume on Tuesday as opposed to resuming tonight. Yeah, I still think being really creative, like you, like you said, you could have some sort of double break, but then put together a tournament of freaking three-on-three with whatever, $50 million available in prizes, but they, I guess they got to come up with the money or I, like something like that where the, the main players are playing in an event. Would be really cool, but I know the you know the players' association will probably fight against that. But they they, they can make changes. Yeah, like they, that. they they don't want to be embarrassed, right? Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's the same reason, right? It comes down to what the players want, and they're going to get what they want more often than not. It's the same reason why the schedule. It's so obvious that the NBA should start on Christmas Day and run through July mm-hmm. to maximize their exposure in the calendar, but they won't do it because the players don't want the fall off. They want summer off, so it can't happen. So, I mean, it's the same thing with any kind of three-on-three or one-on-one or getting people in the dunk contest. Nobody wants to be exposed for not being the winner. So they're never going to get the players to come around and do it. Chad, good job, man. Appreciate you stepping up. Stay warm, as warm as possible. It's cold out there. (laughs) It doesn't get cold here, Steve. Come on, it's (laughs) 9 today. Get 77-cent bottles of Bud, Bud Light, and Michelob Ultra on Golden Knights game days at the Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. I love lists. I love rankings. Willie's really turned turned me on to them. Here's my list of most sensitive people on Cofield and Company in the cast. And what I mean by sensitive is to surroundings, to other people. How annoyed do you get by the way other human beings act? Most sensitive, one, Ari. 
two, Adam Hill. Three, JVT. Four, me. Five, Candy, because I've heard some real stories about Candy. And then six, I think Willie, believe it or not, is the most easygoing with people around him. And I knew this would float Ari's boat. Uh, UNLV Rebel Girl, one of our big followers up on our UNLV stuff, found some post of a woman on a plane. I think it's a woman. I mean, who knows? It could be, uh, you know, a member of uh, whatever, some hair band from the uh, 80s, you know, still rocking hard. Airplane, you're sitting behind someone, and they take their long hair and flip it over the seat, and it's long. So it's down the back of their seat over your tray table. Ari? Hell no. This is, is ridiculous. I even went a step further and asked a fellow coworker who's who's a woman, Lindsay, and I said, like, if you had super long hair, is it, you know, is this something you would do? Is it, can't you just put it up or is that, you know, is that rude to... to How about just everybody? put it behind you? Uh, oh, no, what's, she, the, what's the excuse? Oh, well, it's hot on the seat. Well, then cut your hair! Yeah, basically. I don't she, want your hair draped over my freaking tray table, and guess what? Now I feel bad about putting the tray table down. If I put it down and then I put it up, put the latch, now your hair's locked. Like, who who in the world supports this? Flipping your hair over the airplane seat so it's draped in front of someone else. And is it a big deal? Not really. But it's just common courtesy, which means what is this person like in the rest of her life? Exactly. That's that's how I feel, like your your behavior in that small part. And it's just, yeah, it's unnecessary. Frankly, too, her hair is nice, but it, it doesn't look like it's, like, super made up. Because that is one thing Lindsay said. Well, maybe if she had a, you know, she's on the way to a, a hair conditioning convention or something. That's not the case. She's not flying like that. So, I mean, for all we know, her hair could have smelled. Yeah, you're right. I, I don't but know. The rest of these pictures are even more concerning. I, I, go check out Steve Cofield. We'll retweet it at ESPN Las Vegas. Because I just put up a couple of examples of things that annoy you the most or are most disgusting on the plane. Multiple examples involve feet. Um, I I personally don't mind uh, shoes off with socks on. I don't want to have someone who smells like Fermunda cheese. But uh, the bare feet, and then putting the bare feet near other people, because I am not a barefoot person. I've done my my whole rant about Bill Belichick wearing uh, flip flops and jeans, and just you could you know you're looking at his feet, and he's got the talons going, so you can you know, pick up small animals. Um, I don't like bare feet, and I don't want them put on my armrest or. There were a couple pictures up there where people, you know, are in the, the, the first row, and they've got their feet up on the wall. There's others where they're sneaking them through to your seat, and you're, like, on your arm right. Like, what the? No. No feet. I feel like you can respond any way you want at that point. Like, everything's out the window. If your foot is near my arm right, like, you can get nudged or drop an elbow. whatever you, I want. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing with Ari. It, it would just be a nudge. He's like, oh, I don't want to get too uh, aggressive. Like, no. Well, know, first right? of all. The right thing to do is ask them to get their feet away from you. And then it, if there's a problem from there, then it's probably on. Civil behavior goes uh, out the window. Tonight, 6.30 start. Lady Rebels hosting Utah State. They've got a T-shirt giveaway. They've got some back-to-back T-shirts that rep the back-to-back Mountain West Conference regular season titles. Tickets as low as 10 bucks. It's at Cox Pavilion. Uh, high school students, all children under 12, will get in free. you got to show a little ID with the high school student thing. But uh, $10 tickets, game day. They go for win number 26. Coming up at 6.30, Lady Rebels take on Utah State. 777 gets you two hot dogs, two bags of chips, and a 22-ounce Bud, Bud Light, or Michelob Ultra Draft on Golden Knights game days at the Silver 7s Hotel and Casino. 
the best player on a projected number one seed was at least loosely involved in an incident that led to the death of a young woman, a young mother. Uh, Brandon Miller literally, as police testified today, brought the gun that was used to kill this woman to the scene of the crime. Lawyer, host of Suit Up News, legal and cultural contributor, Xavier Pope, he is live on Cofield and Company. Yeah, on the way back, that was uh, Gary Parrish, who uh, used to do radio in Memphis, has been a longtime college basketball analyst. That was him talking on CBS about Brandon Miller, Alabama player, who is in some way tied to a murder case uh, down in Alabama. Xavier Pope comes in as our legal analyst and also uh, gives us an, a lot of analysis on the uh, cultural side. Xavier, how you doing, buddy? Yeah, I'm pretty good. How you doing, Dave? This is a crazy case. I'm good, but this is a crazy case. What do you think... Nate Oates in Alabama should do. Miller goes out and, yeah, he wants to play, right? I mean, innocent until proven guilty. Goes for 41. The opposing crowd is chanting, lock him up. It's a weird situation. But it's not just get innocent until proven guilty. It's also decision to not to be charged. Um, because it, it's looking, looking like they're in that case that um, Brandon Miller had no idea how his gun was going to be used. Um, didn't know... Um, those circumstances, which are connected uh, directly with um, the charge um, to be, a, be be some sort of accessory uh, to a murder, um, and uh, he, it's not against the law for to give someone um, the gun, and he, he didn't know it. They and then all of a sudden they, they turn around and kill someone, yeah. um, and it was not about having that knowledge. And so um, it was kind of a weird legal type of place to be in because it's it, what the heinous thing that actually happened. I mean, it may not be the smartest thing to give someone a gun, but he's definitely uh, not to be charged because based on that. You know, the crazy thing is Nate Oates only made it worse from a PR standpoint. He's the Bama coach because he kind of fumbled through an explanation of why you know Miller was still on the team and was potentially going to play. And you know, one of his mentions was wrong place, wrong time. Like, coach, you're making five million a year. You're you know outside of saving, you're the highest paid guy, uh, state employee in the state of Alabama. Think about what you're going to say and make a couple of points you just made and simply said, you know, say he hasn't been charged yet. So we're going to let the legal process play out. Until then, it's only fair to let the young man play. But instead, he completely fumbled through it and made it worse for the kid. Well, I think it's the whole standpoint of not just let the legal process play out. Because certain things, um, when it comes to a, a murder, <laughs> that, that that's heinous. And something has to be done. But when it's something that you're seeing that your player is the, the possibility of not being charged in the case. You know a bit more about the situation. And you have to be able to communicate that. And that's up to the university. That's not just the coach um, to make sure they have the communication on something that important, the death of another person, um, having all the ducks and all eyes dot and T's crossed before you say something to end, uh, that endangers the player. Remember, this, this is a, a top player that could potentially uh, go top five in the draft. Number yes. one guy. Yes. Uh, and so you 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 would not only impact him on this thing, on this level, you can impact him on the next level. His endorsement deals, um, what what happens, uh, what type of team he lands on, the type of contract he winds up getting over the course of his career, being impacted by something like this. Well, I'm so glad you went in that direction, and I want to build on that here in a second. Xavier Pope, attorney out of Chicago, is with us. He's a regular guest for years now 
on Thursdays with us. And there's a reason we have attorneys on because there are a lot of stories out there where you need to speak to an attorney. And I see so many sports talk people and then just general fans who get emotional and are like, this is heinous. He has to sit out. Okay, there's also a legal side to it. You may be uncomfortable with it, but use a little common sense. And Xavier just got to it. Could there be a legal risk for Bama if they kind of pull what the NFL does, which obviously has a different deal with its players, where they have an exempt list? Like, what if you did hurt this kid's value moving forward and cost him a lot of money? Could Alabama then be sued down the road? Yeah, I, I think that it, it, I mean, in terms of being sued, um, that there's a, a couple of loops, hoops to jump through to get to something like that in terms of him sitting out, um, in terms of his rights. Um, as a player, and that obviously has to change from a legal standpoint. We have NILs, um, but in terms of that, that those future monies, um, he's very limited in a place legally to be able to do something about something like that. And so um, if you're seeing this landscape of college sports, this, that's still an area. There's still no collective bargaining. There still isn't a way to be able to properly arbitrate these issues between players and teams. And so issues like this with teams become massively important. Um, but you also understand um, and why players don't spend their time too long in institutions before going pro so they can go, go and make more money uh, on the next level and be able to control um, more, a little bit more where they go in terms of having a place that they are already collective, collectively bargained. That's the National Basketball Association. So we're also dealing with a situation here and with the NFL with Alvin Kamara of letting the process play out. It's not murder, but it was a pretty vicious beatdown we just saw a story, an update come down a couple days ago with some audio of Kamara talking about uh, jacking up this guy over at the Cromwell. So what's your take on where this case is right now and, and where it's going to go and then what the NFL is going to have to do? But see, the big difference between the last case we just discussed, Steve, and Alvin Kamara is, is action and intent and the crime um, of beating someone up. And he's currently going to be currently getting sued for it as well um, by the by the victim in this case. Um, the video looked gross. Um, we, uh, you and I, always talk about the different stories we're going to talk about. Sometimes we flesh things out on social media um, before some of these things we talk about. And one of these things was, "Hey, man, this video sucks." Man. This is, you know, and I've been in Dre, the nightclub where it all took place. And I, last month in Vegas, we, uh, when I co-hosted the show, we talked with the NABJ uh, Sports Task Force. I, last night, I, I went to a Jeezy concert at Dre's, and in that hallway, it's a lot of different weird places where celebrities and athletes can interact with the general population that I found is a really interesting setup. And so that's why you saw it look, look so narrow in that video, but it looked really bad. I mean, it doesn't matter if he's talking about self-defense. Um, there's an imperfect self-defense when you go beyond what's to be defended and your whole team is stomping and kicking someone else. Will uh, David Chesnoff, who's kind of the – attorney to the uh, sports and celebrity stars is that something that you could get thrown out as evidence like how and that's gonna that's gonna get into the actual trial i would think right i mean right now he's he's saying that this was self-defense i i can't wait to hear the other side of the story about what danger the other dude posed yeah i think that that's obviously important um the way you get something like that thrown out is want to know what is the full extent of any video on record. And if that's to be uh, obtained, it would be show something that would possibly uh, vindicate your client and not having access to that, being unfairly prejudiced by the, uh, the, uh, the presence of this limited video. 
that would be the only legal recourse you could see an attorney going for. A smart attorney would go that route to be able to make sure to not have that evidence. Xavier Pope is with us. Follow him up on Twitter, at Xavier Pope. Hmm. I thought this week was kind of lazy at the beginning of the week for sports talkers, and we bought into it a little bit, but there's so much going on. To come out of the All-Star weekend and the number one topic to be, hey, the All-Star game sucks and I miss the old days of basketball, I thought was just really weird, and a lot of people did it. Well, you know, it, it, you know we, we're talking about this also, Steve, where this post-Super Bowl, post-NBA All-Star, middle of the season, uh, kind of just before March Madness kicks off, it's kind of this sports low when there's not much feeling. People feel they kind of tune out a little bit, kind of a little fatigue of sorts, um, and so it gives them the space to talk about things that really aren't that important. One of the different things, the Pro Bowl that, uh, with, with flag football now, and you now with the NBA All-Star game, I don't think fans will ever be satisfied by any All-Star game. Nope. And I think people, when you hear fans talk about the nostalgia, um, they're making stuff up. These games were players not playing hard when I was a kid. Um, maybe every few years you would get a competitive game, and you have guys like Michael um, who would, or Kobe who took the game seriously, but not every single guy playing the game. Um, I just think that people want to attach greatness to their era, but I do think it's gotten out of hand now where you're seeing just throwing off the backboard a thousand times in a game. But you're never going to see a good all-star game because it's not all for the Marvels championships and not legacies I made. Well, we're going to start getting hot and heavy over the NFL draft. Uh, everyone's going to jump on that one. That's coming up at the end of April. Yeah, believe it or not, even before March Madness, the draft becomes a really big topic. And with quarterbacks involved in the draft and young quarterbacks in the NFL, there's going to be a lot of smoke and mirrors and you know rumors out there that are planted by agents and teams. So you don't buy that at all, that Justin Fields could get traded by the Bears? Steve, answer this question for me. Where <laughs> is he, what, is that, what is that rumor about Justin Fields getting traded by the Bears? What did that originate from? Who reported that? Who broke that story? I don't know. You tell me. Who did? I don't know. Yeah. I think that that's yeah. what happens before drafts every single year is you can't quite detect where a particular rumor came from to be And a lot of times it's the team putting out there leveraging the picks that they have to make sure that they get their bang for their buck. And I, I, I'm not saying the Chicago Bears put that rumor out there, but... Uh, you know, this kind of happens a lot, Steve. <laughs> and I just think that this is just manufactured. I don't think Justin Fields is going anywhere. The Bears just want the bang for their buck. So maybe the sports fatigue, uh, fatigue, fatigue period of time is a perfect moment to release movies because it's uh, pretty hard right now to market movies if you have to actually have to go to the movie theater. Are you in on Cocaine Bear? Man, I'm down for Cocaine Bear. <laughs> Give me the popcorn. <laughs> Give me the icy, give me the Sour Patch Kids, and I'm going. I think it would happen. I went to see Quantumania with my kids last Friday. It was the first time I've been to the theater since I'm COVID began. By the way, the theater is an arm and a leg, and it, it, going to that experience reminds you why it's better to stay at home. But every now and then, when you want to go out and have a good time, go see a movie like Cocaine Bear. That just seems like a good time to be in the theater with a bunch of people having a good time. Some Sometimes there are movies that are experiences being in the theater, Cocaine Bear is definitely one of those places. Cocaine Bear. All right. Yeah, I saw a weird topic on the Levitard show where they started arguing about charging for premium seats at movie theaters. I'm like, I don't think there's enough movies that are qualified where you could get a, a full theater. I mean, that that whole thing seems to be just on a big decline. I don't know if you can squeeze any more uh, you know, blood out of the turnip. 
yeah, but you know what though? When I went to see Quantumania, that theater was full of people, man, and uh, I was surprised um, the experience. It was, it didn't feel as many people in terms of the entire theater because there are other movies that needed to be shown. But for the for the movie that was a blockbuster, that's people were there. The rest of it was kind of. Xavier, we'll talk to you. Love you. Agape every day. Agape every day. I love it. I love you too, brother.